0: Well, this is different, and welcome to the Hairy Color to Kill Sounds podcast. Hey, you know, I like how each and every podcast starts out different now, and I'm in a different place in life. Thank you guys for listening. Hit the subscribe button. I um, am very, very happy now, and have some insane inspiration. So, this podcast will be not so long, but we'll still have content. And thank you guys, because I'm going to update, and we'll be updating more based off of the subscriptions, and the more you guys respond, the more content I come with. So... Yeah, this basically is like a new point in the series and I'm really excited to explain it to you guys. This is going to be hilarious and full of dry humor and weird voices and nerd references. That is Hearing Colors to Kill Sounds podcast. I, I primarily think of it as such. I know a lot of people talk about a lot of different things and they talk about current events or current stories and series that are out right now everybody's talking about euphoria and a lot of other different series that are cool but i like my series because i mean i'm talking about the things that i love which i've added a list of things too by the way just recently and i am once again supremely surprised and happy for that so I'll update you about that story of personal matters, never, <laughs> it adds to the mystery of who I am as an artist, but as a, what would you call, I don't even like putting labels on millennials or placing labels on myself, I just know that I'm a writer and when describing and this will be the last series that I'm talking about the setting. And we're just describing the settings in which these places or events take place. And and in celestial, it's so vast, it's so large. And if you're thinking of the size of a star or a planet the size of uh, a star, you you have to understand the sheer magnitude of something that would be an ocean and and how that would even correlate to the comparison of our own. And and just that alone is mind-boggling because we're looking into parameters that are larger than our largest planets in our own solar system. And we have been looking at them for some time, but still mystified and still... I'm trying to think of the word where you say unaware to how possibly that planet works or their, what would you call, their systems, their, their meteorological systems, everything when it comes to weather or just how the planet operates. And science fiction obviously hints towards things. And we can give some eludement as to how something has done. But for myself, I, I always leave it in to the point where it's Alfred Hitchcock or the Twilight Zone aspect. Where it's like, doo, doo, doo. well, I don't know what's happening, man. Well, you know, dragons could be flying in the sky and they're like, hey, well, how do you know? well, do you know what they look like? And, and then no one can truly answer that question because it, anything is possible in Celestial. And, and I always wanted that to be the beginning aspect of where I began. And ideally, I had it where there was a temperate forest or someplace where there was a sense of seasons and temperate meaning as in like it would change the the temperate i'm trying to think of the true definition of the word temperate meaning and yes i did just not google but bing it hey microsoft bing no uh you could see that the temperate is a very mild type of aspect or you know 70 to 80 degree range nothing too extreme on the teetering scale of heat or too cold and I wanted it to be non-tropical like but then too that aspect would still be there obviously if I still put beaches and the ocean into the story. And so the first book really really focused on that forest temperate environment. I even had one of the characters wake up on an island. And fun fact, that island was somewhat reminiscent of me going to San Francisco back in 2018. And uh, the book was written obviously before then, but I I seen things on television and before I had even gotten to Los Angeles and on my way up to San Francisco just to chill. I wrote that book and wrote that part of the series based off of what I was looking at at the time. And I'm probably thinking of some crazy HBO series that I was looking at. But just to think of that as not the cabin on the left or something like this, but something where people could piece together someone waking up in the middle of nowhere and having a cabin marooned on an island and having it right juxtaposed next, separated by a ravine, or a river, or the ocean itself, and just inevitable chaos happening on the mainland. The story is obviously the time god and the elder, or the old man, but the stories really... I wanted the, the settings to not quote-unquote take over the story and that's what I wanted to do as the introduction to the first book and I'm looking as through my mind right now and a rolodex of things that I had and I was thinking I'm like okay well what's the next place and I'm like thinking of the next in-between zone or where someone would meet and I'm like okay well the meadow? What, what's in a meadow? Well, a meadow is cool to call some random woman, but where would someone actually meet? Or what would the, the purpose of high tall grass be? And I'm like, oh, ooh, ooh, a great place to hide. <laughs> so that was where the young girl and her guardian came from. And that's one of the reminiscences in how that story Uh, Setting came about. So, with that in mind, I I wanted this first book and the first stories that were lined up. I'm like, boom, 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 boom. Then I was like, okay, now I have to flip it. And so then I would throw in the Green King and the Little Litigator, which was a complete. Not super opposite, but super juxtaposed to all the other stories and temperate environments that I was crafting. A lot of people go in their writer's workshops and they talk about, well, you have to do this or you have to do that. Make sure you have an outline. Make sure you have a a narrator or some sense of third-person narrative that you're understanding how you're speaking to your audience. And for me, the big overlaying theme that I wanted my setting to play if it was not something that was in your face, it was something that had a mindset or personified character in itself. So that basically, layman's terms, I wanted the setting and the what was happening around them to do everything that it was originally doing. Unopposed and Actually, in two to three instances, it had changed based off of the characters and what they had done. Obviously, lighting fires or doing something like this. But just as I wanted the, the setting to embody itself. I wanted it to move. I wanted it to live and have color. And if someone was to ask, they would just be like, oh, well, yeah, it was this. It was light filaments in the sky. It was purple horizons, and the clouds were spilling acid rain. Like, it was just something amazing. <laughs> so, back to what I was saying about that other story was that when I explained it, the, the Green King or The Little Litigator, that one was very reminiscent, and I even told it in the past storyline Or past podcasts, that it looked like something from Lord of the Rings or something very obviously not temperate, but something where you're looking into a forest or pines, it looks like it could be cold in the winter type of mentality. The trees were obviously mercurial, if one could think of a magical or a mysterious forest, then you would definitely inevitably think of that type of place. And it's not so loopy looking where it looks like some weird willow looking trees from Dr. Seuss. <laughs> hey, no shots out to Dr. Seuss. I, I actually really like a lot of his stories as an adult. No shame as an adult with standing five foot whatever explaining as such to to anyone. <laughs> So, the story inevitably and the settings change. And I I love that because each and every one of them becomes their own character. And that's what the, the vein and the intention was when I started picking up my pen or picking up my fingers to type. The next part that I was concerned with, but it... Add it to my imagination and I'm telling this to anybody else who is a writer When you're talking about dreamscapes and how Complicated and simple you can make it now Obviously a dream can be a place with four walls a dream could be a scene It could be colors. It could be anything you could inevitably put in your mind and dream so for me I was like, well, hmm, not heaven, not hell, not purgatory, what can I make this? And if it's not in between someplace, it's not Yggdrasil, it's not that golden road to eternity, what, what, what could I make it like, right? Like, and I sat there for a while and I was like, well, do androids have dreams? And if they were, what would they look like? Or do androids have afterlifes? And if so, would it be like Tron or something? And I spent some time just sitting there and not meditating, but going through the motions of what someone inevitably would have. And it was fun. It looked like nothing I had seen anywhere in the world before and obviously movies and obviously music videos allude to these things, but they always have some frame of reference. And I was moving and operating from a place that had no frame of reference. It was all new and continuously is new. So I was like, okay, boom. Well, okay, where do I begin after that? Like, (laughs) so it's, it's a procession of questions that I ask myself again and again. And I know that other writers have different processes in how they do things. Others will actually talk or have dialogues. But for me, I I saw this as an opportunity to create something that was different from Inception, the movie, and different from all of these other science fiction movies I had seen. And even if the scene, such as A Forest, which, I mean, you can attribute to like 95% of a lot of different films and you take a YouTube video, it wasn't so much just that. The The forest itself had, like I say, a Dr. Seuss, but please don't mistake Dr. Seuss and a Smuffleupagus and... <laughs> from Sesame Street or something like this like that's that's not what we that's not what I was pumping in my story but it was a great thing to have those as a frame of reference to start from and then just meander from away from that and the second book is very reminiscent of it and even when I was designing the floating islands I was designing in my head citadels and designing these cities and impossible by our standards architecture to something that basically defied all laws of physics and all laws of gravity and was obviously a floating island, but that was the, the starting point where I didn't even go into the intricacies of how the floating island operated. I just described one part and describe how they got there, and describe a room, or two rooms, and someone else in that story. It, it goes on beyond that, and infinitely becomes more complex, where these settings take their own center stage, and they're their own characters, and it, I find this not only a challenge, like I said before, but it, it's fun. and and i'll go into it later on at the end of the third book and describe these settings that are completely different one being as in on the beach and then i go back to the time god but then i have in other instances and not to ruin any surprises from the third story so i am going to just generally graze over it but talk about the temperate forest and just magnanimous creatures or mysterious beings that could have existed there. Loch Ness monsters or something, I don't know. You, I, who? Okay, this complete side note sidebar, which is completely hilarious, but I don't know where the Loch Ness monster came from, but that's one of the gnarliest names I've ever heard of in my life. Loch Ness. That means he could have dreadlocks in his head if, no. <laughs> So basically, the stories change, and I incorporated new characters too. And so, where one may look like an android, I described a Seafroid, CY, which is based off of or indicative of circuitry. And this one kind of piggybacked off of two stories where. It was these people living in a giant speaker and the giant speaker storyline is by far one of my favorites. It is insane, incomprehensibly on a whole different other level of me getting to this, this spectrum of describing something futuristic like that. The only other thing I can think of would be a space station or something that someone sees and... They're like, okay, there's a lot of circuitry in there. Well, yeah, but not to the point where it being beyond 10 city blocks and being intricately intricate, <clears throat> intricately intricate. How about infinitely intricate <laughs> all the way in for every piece of what was being designed and, and how that correlates, how energetically that feels and how it affects the characters, was not only a challenge, but two, not to have it look like something reminiscent from what I've seen or what I was gathering the original content from. And so Tron is the thing that comes to mind with colors and it being a black or overcast mentality, but having no light in it from the beginning, meaning as in the sky is not even involved And then just throwing them into the mix of just these infinite amount of rooms is a wonderful, wonderful way to describe a place. The place in itself breathes. It's not stuffy. It's not just like a four by four room or something like this, where 180 people are are crowded in there. It's spread out and... It's devoid, once again, of those laws of physics and gravity that we are accustomed to. So every story, and the reason why I'm mentioning this to you now, and and then we'll jump into the third book in the next installment, is that I take fun and deep, deep reverence for all writers, but my writing process is the complete antithesis of a textbook writer. (laughs) Period, 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 period. People have editors, people do a lot of amazing things. But for me, I find the joys in looking at something and then twisting it into my own and creating it in my own art style and creating it into something that makes it special. So the colors, magenta, purple, blue, uh, neon pink, and things like this are some of the colors that you would see or would see in Celestial's uh, giant speaker box society. And a lot of other colors are there too, obviously black and obviously white and a couple of others, but primarily in how people communicate is different. And the way that people dress are obviously different. I didn't want the timeline to be in like some old timey early 1600 type of swinging swords mentality even though that was cool i wanted it to be a mixture of that where there's technologically advanced advanced places and then other places that don't even know or breathe word of what technology is and and i find that as a great great tapestry of a, a great story and, and i'm just thankful you guys are listening thank you thank you for listening to The Hearing Colors to Kill Sounds podcast, hit the subscribe button. And yeah, I have a story for you. I actually have two stories. So hit the subscribe button. Let somebody know about it. The more and more you guys respond, the faster it is I upload. So yeah. Oh, and oh, this is new, new, new. Anybody in the Los Angeles area looking for a collab or looking for a guest on a podcast. And they're looking for a nerd, a black nerd, a blurred, with dry humor and hilarious cartoon voices. You can X out the cartoon voices. I, I could just do weird voices. But anyway, uh, invite me on the podcast. Send me an email and my imaginary assistant will get back to you. So, yeah. Thank you guys so much. And peace, peace.